Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. I'm so excited to share with you this morning what I feel like God has put in my heart because this message has been 12 years in the making, and that's not an exaggeration. I didn't just pull that number out of a hat. This message has been 12 years in the making, and I am so excited to share it with you this morning. My name is Ben. I'm the kids pastor here. My wife, Amber, and I, we get to minister every Sunday morning down to the other end to all the little people, and uh, man, we love your kids. They are amazing. I warned the first service. I should probably warn you. I got blackmail on all you guys, all right? Your kids talk, okay? I know who got in a fight on the way here. I know which mommies maxed out credit cards. Like, we know, be nice to us, all right? I just want to throw that out there. Um, I'm just kidding. But we do, we do love the opportunity that we have to just love on your children each and every week. You guys have amazing kids. I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but they're awesome and they are world changers. Listen, I want to lay out for you what the plan is for today. I like a plan. I like to know where we're going, when we're going to get there, how we're going to get there. I like all of those things. A little bit OCD, a little bit controlling. Don't hold it against me. So what I want to do is share the plan with you for today. My hope is by the time that you leave here, your faith is strengthened. That I don't know, I mean, however many hundreds of people there are in this room right now, we are all at a different place with our relationship with Christ. My hope is that you are closer to God when you leave here, that your faith is strengthened, and man, you are just ready to do what God has called you to do by the time you leave here today. Speaking of what God's called you to do, the next three weeks here, we are starting our vision series. So Pastor Mike is going to be sharing what he feels like God has put on his heart, the pastor's, the elder's heart for this house And let me tell you, it is awesome and it is amazing. There are some big changes that are going to be taking place here at the harbor. They're fun. They're exciting. God has a plan. Listen, as Christians, we don't just exist. I want you to know that. I fell into that for a very long time. I just wanted to get by. We are on a mission. God has called each and every one of you in this room to do something. It's not just get by. It's to change this world for him with love. All right? So... I hope you're excited about it because I absolutely am. Can you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12? Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles today, don't worry. We have the big digital one up on the wall behind me. Uh, Follow along. If you're taking notes, we're going to read Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3. Let's dive in. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. God, to share what I feel like you've put in my heart. Lord, I know that there's not one person that's in this room on accident. Lord, you've ordained it. You want us all here for a reason. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you have for us. God, whatever you're trying to to get through to us today, God, I pray that we would receive it. 
I pray that we would put it in our hearts, God, and use it and let it change our lives. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you again in your name. Amen. Amen. First Sunday of 2020. Can you believe it? Didn't it just feel like Thanksgiving was like yesterday, right? I guess that's part of getting old, right? Time starts flying. At this point, I feel 80. I don't know. It's just time is going so fast. And um, I like New Year's personally. I love New Year's resolutions. Is there anybody else in here you like writing down New Year's resolutions? Yeah, same like the first one. There's like five people. I guess I'm weird, babe. You're right. Um, No, seriously, I love writing down New Year's resolutions. Every year, it's like eight to ten things that I'm like, all right, I want to make this better and that better if I could change this and change that and blah, 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 blah. And I love doing that. I'll, I'll get out my phone and I'll like open up a note and I'm like writing things. And I'll be like, hey, babe, I wrote some things for a New Year's resolution. She says, yay, cool, awesome. You know, and I'm like, did you write any? She's like, no, that's like homework. And I'm like, yeah, but aren't there some things that you want to change? Like, you feel like God wants to do something? Yeah, yeah, I want to be a better person in 2020. I'm like, no, come on. Like, I get so excited and so passionate. And I was thinking about that this week, and I think the reason is, is the potential from those changes, right? There's things about me that I want to change about my diet, about sleep habits, about spiritually. Like, there's just things that I want to change that I feel like, man, if I can get this right, it's like a domino effect. Things will become better. I could be more, like, God can use me more kind of deal. But like I said, I share that with my wife, and she's just like, look, that's great. Do whatever you want to do, but I don't really want to do that. And that's cool. I get it. But as I was thinking about New Year's resolutions, it hit me that usually by March or April, that list, I kind of forgot about, right? If I'm being totally honest with you, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be better at this or that. I'm supposed to be working on that. And so the word resolutions isn't really right, if you ask me. We almost like, I feel like we write down New Year's hopes, right? Things we hope change. If you don't put a lot of work into it, it's nothing more than a hope. And uh, that's actually what I want to talk to you about this morning is hope. The word hope. We use the word hope a lot today, but I feel like we use it differently than the Bible uses the word hope. A lot of times when I use the word hope and when I hear the word hope used, it's almost like a wish. Like you're throwing a coin in a well. Like, oh, let's see what happens. It's like a 1% chance. I hope we have a snow day tomorrow or whatever. You know, like, oh, maybe, I hope. It's a wish. But when we read about the word hope in God's word, it's a promise. And our hope can be found in him. Amen? So I looked up the definition for the word hope. And this is the first one that I found. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So again, like a wish. But this definition I like a lot more. A feeling of trust. A feeling of trust. Something is going to happen. Your hope is found in him. You have trust that is found in him. I like that so much better than a hope. Than Oh, maybe, we'll see, we'll find out. I like things that I can go back to that are like foundational. You see, hope is a powerful thing, right? When you think about hope, hope is a very powerful thing. And I know that because if you've ever felt hopeless, it is the worst feeling in the world. When you think truly about what hope is, hope is really you're wanting a better tomorrow. 
You're wanting a better next week, next month, next year, whatever. It's something that you're wanting to happen that is better. And hopelessness is the exact opposite. It's, I guess nothing's going to change. I guess it's same old, same old, you know, whatever. Life stinks. I guess that's just what it is. Hopelessness is the worst. We need to have hope. I don't know if you've ever come to this place before, though, where you've hoped for something for such a long time that it begins to hurt. Have you ever had that happen? You're just hoping and wanting and praying, and it begins to hurt, which is weird because hope is such a good thing, right? Hope is an amazing, powerful thing, and yet if it's drawn out for so long, hope can hurt. That's actually the title of my message today. If you are taking notes, write this down. When hope hurts. When hope hurts. See, if you have hope and you're wanting something better, it means that where you're at isn't where you want to be. Hope can be a reminder of where you're at. And if you don't like it, that can be a problem. I do want to warn you guys now, kind of put this out there now. This sermon is probably the most difficult sermon that I've ever put together in my life. When I say it took 12 years, it literally took 12 years that God has been doing things in our lives. And the culmination is really what I'm talking about today. I feel like I could have preached a month on what we're just going to try to discuss in 30 minutes. I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to break some unwritten rules that some pastors feel like they have. I'm so thankful for the pastors and the leadership of this church because I can go to them and just share with them true, honest, real feelings. Can I tell you, we're a blessed church because it is not like that everywhere. I'm not trying to put anybody else down. But I can tell you, I have been instructed in the past to keep distance from the congregation. You set yourself up like this so people want to strive to be like you and you can't be real and vulnerable. Man, I can't do that. I cannot do that. I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not going to impress you with my intellect. I'm just not. It's not going to happen. But what I can promise you and what I can offer to you is honesty, openness, and vulnerability. Have you ever read something in the Bible that you struggled with? Like, I don't mean like, oh yeah, there's a sin, but I mean like where you read something and you go, how can that be true? Have you ever been there? I've been there. And not like, oh, before he was a pastor, before he understood, no, no, no. While being a pastor, there's times that I underline, highlight write notes about in my Bible about, man, how, how can that be? Like, I'm sure it's true for other people in this room. I'm sure it's true for Joe and Vinny and Craig. I'm, I'm sure it's true for them, but God, I don't know that that's true for me. Now listen, I'm not trying to sound like a heretic up here. I believe the entire word of God. I'm just being honest with you. I'll read something and I'll go, how? Where? Like, God, I, I know you want me to be healed. How come I'm not seeing that healing? 
God, I know you want me to be provided for, but I just lost my job. Lord, your word talks about when we find a spouse, it's a good thing. Where's my spouse? Have you ever been there? Come on, this is real talk. Hashtag real talk. Somebody tweet that. I'm just being honest right now, church. That's all I got. You see, we're going to go back and forth in between two stories today. I want to start by telling you part of our story. We'll put it on pause. We'll jump into God's word, and then we'll come back to our story. So my wife and I have been trying to have kids for 12 years. 12 years is a long time. We've been married 13 years. And I'll tell you, we had a plan. I already told you I like plans. We had a plan going into marriage, and the plan is what I feel like I hear most newlyweds or young couples say. How long are you going to wait to have kids? Oh, five years. We're one year into it. And she's like, you ready? I'm like, for what? What do you mean? We had a five-year plan. She's like, no, 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 one year. We're going to start trying to have kids. I'm like, all right. It's your world. I'm just living in it. Let's do it, baby. All right? So we start trying to have kids. And, you know, sometimes it takes time to, you know, birth control and, and all that kind of stuff. And nothing's happening. So we're like, oh, that's strange. And so... We have an appointment with Amber's girl doctor. I know. I'm like 12 years old. I don't even want to say it. The girl doctor, all right? I don't. makes me feel weird. So we have an appointment, and we go and we meet with the girl doctor. And she's like, all right, we can try some, like, light medications or whatever. And sometimes it jump starts things, and we'll try that. I'm like, all right, cool. So we try that. Nothing's happening. So we go back, and we meet with her, and she says, you probably need to see a specialist. So we go to a specialist, and there's, like, this tiered plan. And with that plan comes cost, right? And we're like, all right, well, we're just going to pour everything we got into this because we want to start a family. See, our plan was we're both from bigger families. I'm the oldest of 12. She's the oldest of four. So we're like, let's have four kids. We'll have two of our own, and then we'll adopt two. So eight of my siblings are adopted through the foster care system, and we saw the need, and we saw the value, and we just said, we want to do that. But we want to have two of our own kids first, and then we'll do that. So that was our plan. So we go to the we go to this specialist, and again, tiered plan, and we're we're going through everything, and they're throwing out numbers like you got a seventy percent chance of this working this time. We're like, awesome, seventy percent, we'll take it. And then we go back, and the percentage drops and drops and drops and drops, and we come to a place where where we were at, we just could not afford it anymore. We'd reached a place where we just said we can't do it anymore, and so we had to stop. We had to just stop that for then and say, like, all right, well, we'll revisit it. We'll pray about it. We'll come back to that. That's where we're going to pause our story, and we'll dive back in here in a few minutes. I want to talk to you about a guy in the Bible named Abram, who later becomes Abraham, his wife Sarai, who later becomes Sarah, and a journey that they went on that's kind of similar to our journey. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's my first point today. The promise. The promise. We just read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and God makes Abram seven different promises. These are the promises. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you a great name. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I want to focus on that first promise, though. I will make you into a great nation. 
See, Abram and Sarai, when they got this promise, that's a great promise. That's an awesome promise. We're going to be built into a great nation. One problem, God, we don't have kids. We don't have any kids. As we begin to read this story, God had called Abram from where he was at and told him to move on. When they started moving on, he was 75 years old. Imagine being 75 years old and God saying, you're going to have a kid. A lot of you guys be like, no, thank you, right? 75, 65, you're going to have a kid. And they were cool with that. Abram was stoked. He was excited about that. But to me, that's a crazy promise, right? 75, 65, having kids? But Abram didn't question God's promise at that point. He just said, man, that's awesome. God wants to use us. All right, let's go. And he followed God. He didn't have any problem with that promise. And he believed God could do it. But after the promise, the next step is usually the not fun part. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Point number two, waiting. When we get a promise from God, it doesn't always mean you get the promise. God's not like an ATM where it's like promise, you know, transactions happen like that. Those promises can take a while. But God's promises are true. Amen? So, it's taking some time. And they're playing the waiting game. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but when you're waiting, doubt starts to creep in. Right? You ever read something that you feel like God is pointing out to you or or you feel like God has truly put something on your heart and then time passes and you go, did I really hear God on that one? Maybe I just ate a bad taco. Maybe that one wasn't really for me. Maybe I misheard him. How can that be? We begin to doubt God and his promises. And it really comes back to us just not being patient people. Anybody else struggle with patience like I do? Yeah, a lot of us, right? Especially in today's day and age. We want everything right now. But how many know that our timing isn't always God's timing? Very seldom does our timing line up with God's timing. So what we're going to do is we're going to skip ahead to Genesis 15. We're going to start reading Genesis 15, verse 1 here in a few seconds. While you're turning over, though, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed. Between Genesis 12 and 15, some things happen. Abram goes to Egypt. Abraham is traveling with his nephew Lot. They're comes a time where there's just too many of them all in the same space, so they decide they should separate. Lot goes his way, Abram goes his way. Then Abram gets kidnapped by these four kings. I'm sorry, Lot, not Abram. Lot gets kidnapped. Abram comes and saves the day with 318 men, defeats four kings and their armies, and gets his nephew back. So all of that happened. So Genesis 15 verses 1 through 6, we read about another conversation that takes place. And the reason why I brought you along and told you what happened in between is I'm trying to get the point across that some time has passed. Some time has passed. Here's a conversation between Abram and God. Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, 
You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Have you ever felt like you had to remind God of a promise that he made? I have. I've come to that place where I'll be like, uh, yo, yoo-hoo, did you forget about me? Remember me over here? You said that. I mean, I, I read it, and I believe your word, so God, you got to come through on this. I, I'm just here to, to remind you. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot of things going. I just want to remind you about this. What's crazy is God and Abram, before anything happens, before any promise is fulfilled, have four conversations about this very promise. And Abram keeps bringing it back up to God. Hey, I get it. I know what your plan is. How's this going to happen? How's this going to work? I don't have anybody. How am I going to be building to a great nation when I don't have any kids? That is a problem. So then Abram and Sarai did something that I feel like a lot of us end up doing. Write this down, point number three. I got this one, God. I got this one. God, maybe you need some help. I know I heard from you. I know your promises are true. I know you want good things for me, but I know you're busy. I got this. Let me take control. Let me, you know, get involved in this situation. Let me put my fingerprints on this. Again, throwing out the timing of God. Turn over to Genesis 16. We're going to read verses 4 through 6. So Sarai had given her maidservant Hagar to Abram so they can conceive. That's what we're going to read about. Verse 4 says, He, he being Abram, slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So Hagar gets pregnant, and she gets pregnant with Ishmael. Why did this whole situation happen? Because they said, I got this one, God. Look, you're not coming through. You haven't come through yet. You keep saying this promise. So here, let me get involved. Let me do what I know to do. I got this one, God. And what happens? Turmoil. When we get involved and we say, I, 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 God, take a break. I got this. And we put our fingerprints on it. If you're anything like me, you will screw it up. Right? Have you ever been there? Am I alone? Are you awake? All right, good. Seriously. I mess things up all the time because I say, I got this one, God. Abraham and Sarai said, I got this one, God. And they created a problem. It was a lack of trust. See, hope was there the whole time. Abraham had hope. 
because he kept bringing it up to God. But you know what? I bet Abram probably got sick of hearing this promise without seeing results. I bet that hope began to hurt. I bet that hope began to hurt. It was a reminder of what he didn't have. God, are you going to come through? You keep saying this. Where yet? That hope began to break his heart. I'm going to call the band up. And I'm going to actually dive back into our story. So where we left off was we were going to doctors and specialists, pouring money we really didn't have into these treatments. And we came to a place where my wife looked at me and said, I just want to be myself again. I just, she's on all these medications, all these hormones, and she just said, it's been years I need a break. I said, sweetheart, it's your body. I get it. Let's take a break. And I'll be honest with you, that hurt a little bit. Because I am an underdog kind of guy. I come by it honestly. I mean, look at me. I have to be, right? I love a good underdog story. If there's a 1% chance, man, I'm in. We'll turn on a game my wife will be like, oh, who's playing? And I'm cheering for the underdog every single time, unless it's the Michigan Wolverines. Go blue. But I'm always cheering for the underdog. I love a good underdog story. But it hurt because I felt like we were quitting a little bit. And we weren't really. It was more of a pause. We'd reached a place where we just, we had to. Here's the crazy thing, though. We quit one day. The next day, my wife got a phone call from her best friend in high school. And her friend said, look, I know the plan for you guys is to have a couple kids and then adopt a couple kids. I know two kids that need a mom and a dad. I know a little boy and a little girl that are two and three that need a mom and a dad. And this wasn't really our plan, but we're like, you know what? We can adopt two and then, you know, have two later on. Yeah, let's do that. So we met our kids now, Mick and Callie. We meet them. They're two and three wild, crazy kids. We adopted two toddlers. What were we thinking? It was a wild ride. And we, so we adopt them and we bring them into our home. And man, I am, I am so thankful that we were presented with the opportunity to adopt because God has taught me so many things about my relationship with him through my relationship with my kids. We're all adopted into the family of God. So we meet this little boy and this little girl and it's through foster care, so it takes some time. And we end up adopting them. Absolutely amazing. It's fun. It's crazy. But I would be lying to you if there wasn't something still in my heart going, but God, can, can we go back to the, the other plan? Can we still have a kid? And sometimes I would feel guilty. Just to be totally honest with you, I'd feel guilty because I'm like, we have two beautiful children and I'm still wanting more. I don't think it's crazy to want a child 
from me and my wife. I don't think that's crazy. But just being honest, I did feel guilty from time to time. And I felt guilty because I've been around a lot of babies, newborns all the way through. And I know that there's a time where you fall in love with them and you bring them home and they just sit there and don't do much but eat and other stuff. And you have this time where you can fall in love with them. And you can lay on your back and put a baby right here. You ever had a, a baby nap? That is the best sleep you'll ever get. I know that makes me sound creepy. I'm serious. You lay down, you have that baby right there, I'm gone. It's amazing. There's a bond that's taking place. You have time to fall in love with an infant. When you adopt a two- and three-year-old, you're going, hey, don't put that in the light socket. Hey, get off the roof. Hey, stop hitting your scissors. Like, all those things were literally said in our home, all right? I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to be funny. We said all of those things and many, many more that I can't say from up here. Um, so that was, that was part of our story. And I thank God. It took longer than what I thought it would take. But we were able to fall in love with our children, and I love them so incredibly much. And I would do anything, anything for them. I can't imagine loving someone more. So that was right before we moved out here. We adopted them literally like a couple months before, and we moved out here. And then we came out here, and we got settled in, and then we said, all right, let's start trying again. And this hope comes back. Let's start trying again. So again, we go back to the girl doctor, and we try that stuff. And then we end up at a specialist, and we're going through that stuff. Money we don't have, time, frustration. And it was just taking so long. And I thank God for the last specialist that we met with because I'm not trying to trash anybody, but as much as doctors are great, there's some of them that, I mean, it's, it's, there's a business side to it, right? And there were some where we're like, do you care or are you just interested in the check, right? And I thank God for a man that we met with in Smithtown. And as we're going through the process with him, you know, he's, again, giving percentages, and we go back, and sorry, didn't happen, didn't happen. And we came to a place where he had a very real conversation with us, and it hurt. But looking back, I was so thankful. He said, you've come to the place where you have as much chance getting pregnant on medication as off medication. So it wouldn't be fair to you for me to keep telling you to take these pills and to come back and all this kind of stuff. And he said, but there's something I want to tell you. And he probably broke some rules doing this. Those in the medical profession could tell you. But he said, he said, I don't create life. My job is to put things close enough to give you better chances, to give you better odds. There's only one who creates life. And I, I had come to a place where hope was hurting and I didn't want to hope anymore. And it was breaking my heart. And I'm thankful that that man said that because he didn't have to. And so we left. That was a couple years ago. And I had to have a conversation with my wife because she wanted to keep talking about it and keep trying it trying and I just said I gotta stop 
this is killing me. This hurts. Every time you take a pregnancy test and it comes back negative, it's like a punch to the gut. I can't keep doing this. At some point, it's just stupidity on my part to keep getting my heart broken. And I came to a place with God. Now, I told you, I'm the, like, I am underdog to the max. I don't ever want to quit. I want to be the one standing where everyone else left. But I came to a place where I had to have a very raw conversation with God and say, I don't get this. Some of you guys have read in the New Testament where Paul is talking about like his accolades, right? Like, if there ever was a Jew, it'd be me. I've done this, I've done that, da da da. And I felt that. I felt like on paper, if there was ever someone that was set up to be a great dad, it was me. My parents had all these kids. I helped raise. My mom had a daycare in our home. We were around kids all the time. My wife was part of a big family. She was a nanny. She worked in two daycares. God, I don't understand what have I done to deserve this. Why aren't you coming through? We would read things in the Bible. There's a lot of people that struggled with fertility in the Bible. You don't realize it until you're looking for it. There's a lot of people that were waiting on answers to prayer in the Bible. And as you read it, you're like, oh, man, Daniel just had to keep praying and keep praying. And he couldn't stop because the answer was delayed. That's going to be me. If I just fast for seven days, all right, seven days didn't work. If I just fast for 30 days, if I give this up, if I give that up, if I give God more of my heart, it's got to happen. Because I believe this. I'm crazy enough to believe every word that is written in this book. God, I don't get it. Have you ever been there in life? You're looking at a situation. You're saying, God, where's my healing? God, where's my spouse? God, why are we struggling financially? Everyone around us, our lives are perfect. My wife used this phrase, and it was funny. She's like, I don't get it. There's people around us spitting kids out like Pez dispensers, and we just can't have one. Uh, I love that. I thought that was awesome. If you know my wife, that makes total sense. And uh, I, had, I had some very strong feelings. There's, I have an amazing friend named Andrew, and we were having a conversation all that long ago, and I was telling him that I was feeling guilty for just, you know, things that I was feeling towards God. And he said, do you ever read Psalms? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, when I get around to it. And he said, I want you to read five Psalms a day. And just look at how raw the emotion is that David had. He shared everything with God. And I'll tell you what, that helps. And I'm thankful for that advice. But the conversation I had with God two years ago went, Something like this. I can't do it anymore. I've done everything on my end. You're the one not coming through. So here's this hope back. I don't want it. It hurts. It's killing me. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm done trying. You can have 
it back. God and I were good in every other area. I was a pastor at that point. I've been here seven years. This is two years ago. I said, you can have it back. I don't want it anymore. My wife would talk to me about possibly getting back into foster care and possibly, like, all these things. I said, sweetheart, I literally said to her, I just can't go there again. My life is good. It's complete. I have what I need, what I want. I, I can't hope anymore because hope hurts. So I'm going to fast forward to Thanksgiving Day. I keep pausing because I'm an ugly crier, so I'm trying not to like make all these weird noises. Uh, skipping ahead to Thanksgiving Day. Um, see, my wife never gave up. Friends and family never gave up. I'm thankful. We had family in town, and we're playing a board game. And it, it was almost 10 o'clock, so we're telling the kids they got to go to bed, and we're wrapping everything up. And I hear my wife scream from the bedroom, which would be alarming to most people, but I'm like, it could be a bug, it could be a shadow, it could be a bump, uh, who knows. So I paused and went right back to what I was doing. And then um, she rips the door open, comes running down the hallway, holding a pregnancy test, and yells, I'm pregnant. You can be seated. I got a lot more to say. (laughs) You know what I should have done? I should have responded the way that you did. (laughs) But I'm an idiot. If you don't know that already, you'll figure it out. She comes out screaming, and I said, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Because immediately these walls went up, and I said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't hope again. I can't dream again. I can't want again. I can't. It hurts. And for those that are curious, CVS is open till 10 o'clock on Thanksgiving night. So my brother and I get in the truck. We're going to CVS, and it was a, the longest five-minute awkward drive in my life because I don't know what to say. So we go in, and I buy four more pregnancy tests because you never know. So I told her, I said, don't you dare go to the bathroom till I get back and start drinking some water. And it's at night. Like, for those that don't know, you're supposed to take those tests in the morning I don't know what she was doing, but whatever. So I just said, don't go, just wait. So we go. She starts blowing up my phone on the way back, like, I really got to go, hurry up. So she came back, and she took four more pregnancy tests, and they were all positive. And we were just, I was excited, but again, I got to be real. I was hesitantly excited. I couldn't let it out yet because I feel like as soon as I let it out, it becomes real. And what if this isn't real? I told you, I'm an idiot. What if this isn't real? So I thought in my mind, once we go to the doctors, then I'll believe, then I'll get excited. Because I didn't give my wife a great response, and I got in trouble for that later. And so we went to, 
Well, we had an appointment for Tuesday, but something happened that weekend that was scary, and we ended up in the ER. Scary enough to where we thought we could have lost the baby. And I don't know anything about this. This is my first time going through any of this stuff. And so we go, and they're running all these tests, and we were there five hours and saw so many different people. And, and it was such a weird thing because they're like, yeah, you're, you're pregnant, but and I'm like, and then they would say a bunch of like medical jargon. I wish I had John Dobry there with me. I mean, I'm like, what are you, you're speaking German right now. What is going on? But I told Amber, if I didn't speak one word of English and all I watched was their demeanor and their body language, I would have said, we got bad news. So I went from up here crashing down. I said, God, that is cruel. I don't understand. Why would you take, I just, you just give me hope back. And I, so we had a, an appointment for Tuesday. That was on Saturday. So we didn't know how to feel. It was almost like something you wanted to talk about but didn't want to talk about. And this is, what's going on? And they were saying things like, well, you know, sometimes when you have problems, the first one doesn't take, and I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. We told some, some family and some very close friends, and we said, can you please pray? And they did, and I'm so thankful. Again, there's so many people in our lives that have carried a burden when I couldn't. And uh, so we go to the appointment Tuesday, same thing. They're like, well, you're pregnant, but we got to wait two weeks. It's like, it's the whole, it's nothing till it's something. And I guess the something is that heartbeat. They want to see that flash on that screen. And we weren't to that place yet. But again, their demeanor and the way they're talking, I'm going, this is bad news. This is bad news. So we leave Tuesday. And I'm just being very real with God. And I'm like, that's mean. That's just mean. Why would you do that to me? I was okay. I was fine. You could have just left me alone in that area. Why didn't you just leave me alone? We went to bed Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. And God brought back to my memory this story of Abraham and Sarah. To jump back into that story, it didn't end with Hagar and Ishmael. Abraham and Sarah got married, 90 and 100 years old. They had a baby. Did I say get married before? I'm an idiot. I told you. They had a baby. They had Isaac. And so they have Isaac 25 years plus after God originally gave him that promise. They have Isaac, and then one day God says to Isaac, or God says to Abraham, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son, so get everything ready and go up to the mountain to sacrifice to me. What? We don't read in Scripture anywhere about this type of thing. Why in the world is God doing this? But what did Abraham do? When you're reading the story, God says it, and the next verse is he got everything ready. And he went up to that mountain. And he gets to the top of the mountain and he prepares the altar. And he lays Isaac on the altar. And before he kills his son, 
that he was promised, that he hoped for, that he wanted, that he longed for, he was stopped and God said, now I know that you're willing to follow me and listen to me. And then God provided a sacrifice. What God pointed out to me at 4.30 in the morning was this. He said, Ben, when Abraham put Isaac on that altar, it wasn't just Isaac that was on that altar. It was his hopes. It was his dreams. It was his trust that he was giving back to me. You see that weekend, that scary weekend, I had hope. And I was holding on to it for dear life and said, God, you gave it back to me. I'm never letting go of this again. And God's saying, I need it back. I need it back. I need you to trust me with it. And I'm saying, I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can give it back to you. You just gave it to me after 12 years of trying. You just gave me this hope. And you're saying, I need it back. And I don't know if I can trust you with it. He made the world. What am I saying? I had a decision to make. You see, it was two weeks from one appointment to the next, and it was the longest, scariest two weeks of my life. And every day I had to give that hope and that trust back to God, and I had to put it back on the altar and say, God, I, I trust that you know what you're doing. I don't understand why you do what you do. I don't get your ways. The Bible says they're higher. They're much higher because I don't understand this. So we go back two weeks later, and they do a sonogram, and there's that little flashing heart, and we were just so, so thankful. And we were just so, like, you ever get on the other side of a test, and you look back, and you're like, why was I so dumb? I do all the time. And God taught me so many things through the last 12 years. And listen, I haven't, I don't have it figured out. I don't, I don't know why sometimes things happen and sometimes they don't. I don't. All I can do is share with you my story. And I know if I was in that place, there's some of you in this room that might be in the same place that I've been, where you feel like God has given you a promise and you've had to let that promise die because that hope has been hurting for so long. Maybe you're single and you're saying, where's my spouse? Maybe you raised your kids in church their entire lives. And you're reading verses about if you raise them right, when they get older, they're not going to depart. What is going on? Why aren't they in church? Why don't they love you the way that I raised them to? Maybe you're looking around going, where's my healing? I'm hearing of everybody else's healing. Where's my healing? Maybe... You've let hope go the way that I did. Can I tell you something? God wants to resurrect that hope in you today. That hope that only can be found in Him. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.